Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Russell, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, Good morning to our church family watching online, wherever you are at. I'm really excited about this morning together. Uh, I'm excited that it's Sunday, and I'm excited for this Sunday in particular. Uh, You may not think it's a huge reason why, but let me explain. Uh, I have the blessing of on Sunday nights getting to hang out with our junior high and our high school students. And last Sunday in particular, our high school students did an all-night lock-in. Does anybody know what that looks like? Okay. Essentially, all you're doing is you're playing a ton of games all night long, you're eating a lot of snacks all night long, you're drinking a lot of soda all night long, and you're trying to stay awake. Doesn't that sound great? It is a sundown to sunup event, not sunup to sundown, a sundown to sunup event. Has anybody ever done like a church all-nighter before? Raise your hands. Okay, if you have, you need to be youth leaders for me, you're my kind of people. If you haven't, I envy you. But I'm excited about this Sunday because tonight I get to go home and sleep at a reasonable time in my own bed. And I'm not staying all night, staying up all night with a bunch of high school students. Shout out to you guys plopped down in the front right here. Uh, Sorry, not sorry. We won't be doing that again. But I'm excited in general to be here this Sunday. Uh, We get to finish off our series that we're talking together. And so I want to start us off with a conversation to talk amongst each other, uh, to talk whoever you're watching with online, or even if you want to try to meet somebody new in this sort of a conversation. What I want you guys to talk about is what do you know the most about other than in your work and what you do? So what are you the most well-versed in? What do you have a deep understanding of? Some people might say, I know a lot about cars. I know a lot about video games. I know a lot about random states and countries and different things like that. What do you have the most knowledge about? I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to talk with some people next to you or whoever you're watching with. Talk about what you know the most about other than your work and what you do. Go ahead. All right, all right. That was a good conversation starter. A lot of you were talking. Yes, awesome, sweet. Uh, For me, what I know the most about other than my work and what I do is European football. And yes, I said that right. I'm not talking American football. I'm talking American soccer just played in Europe. My name might be Russell Wilson, but I know way more about European soccer than I do American football. All right, I've done some fantasy football leagues. I actually won this past year, so I know some regular American football as well. But I know my stuff when we're talking about European football. Let me explain. I could tell you all about the top clubs in the top flight in Germany. It's called the Bundesliga, and it's got two really good teams, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. And they each have two of the best strikers in the whole world right now in Robert Lewandowski and Erling Holland. I could tell you all about the league in Spain called La Liga and how they have some of the most well-known, renowned football clubs in all the world in Barcelona and Real Madrid. You may know those names. But ever since Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo left, 
Their status has been slowly dwindling and they're not fan favorites anymore. I could tell you about the top leagues in Italy called Serie A and how they have these rich fan bases with rich history of sports teams in Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Napoli, Lazio, Roma. And now they probably have like the most prideful football player in all of Europe and the guy with the coolest name ever in Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Like, come on, I wish my name was Zlatan. I could tell you about the France League, League One, and how really every single year one team wins it, Paris Saint-Germain, and they spend billions of dollars on players, but they can never seem to win the Champions League. So, you know, not big of a deal anymore to them. I could tell you about the best league in all of Europe, the Premier League, where the best teams play, the most popular teams are there, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal, I guess you could say Tottenham. All the best clubs play there. All the best players want to find their way at some point playing in the Premier League. I know my stuff on European football. I could talk your ear off for a long time because I understand what's going on in the world of soccer. Now, does this have anything to do with what we're talking about today? Well, yes. Yes, it does. You see, we've been in this story in the book of Matthew, and it's really um, words spoken by Jesus. Uh, and Jesus would go on to say uh, that it's a parable. And I really liked what Paul started us off with uh, at the beginning of the series. He said, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this parable in particular is actually pretty important for us to look at because it's recorded in three different books by three different authors in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all put this parable as the first parable recorded in all of the books. So it's got a lot of weight to it. And as a church, we've been trying to look at this underlying message that Jesus is speaking through in this story. And we found that there's a lot of different voices going on in this parable, a lot of voices trying to compete with the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom. And so as we've read, one of the hardest things for us to understand uh, is what is Jesus trying to get at? Because he doesn't just give it plainly to us. He doesn't just give us a point blank reason why he's trying to explain this parable. Uh, the parable itself is important because it works on our relationships and in our hearts. And if we don't understand the information that Jesus is giving us in this parable, heartache is going to follow for us. So let's get the setting here for this parable. It's going to be in Matthew 13. Um, Jesus is speaking to a crowd much like you guys. And what happens is he backs up all the way onto the lake and he gets in a boat and he's looking out to the crowd because it's the best way to speak to them. He can reach everybody and his voice is going to be heard easily in this moment. Uh, and so he starts his message in Matthew 13, verse 3, this way. He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now for us at face value, this parable can be kind of confusing. It can be a little difficult to understand, but this is the way that Jesus spoke when he was speaking to large crowds of people. Remember, a parable compares something earthly to something heavenly. And so what Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to help these people understand spiritual truth by talking about everyday objects and everyday relationships that they were a part of in their life. His parables was to compel people 
to discover truth in their life, while at the same time concealing truth from those in the crowd that may be too half-hearted, may be too hard-hearted, may be too faint-hearted to hear it and understand it. But don't get me wrong, Jesus wanted these people to know that those who honestly seek God, they will find truth in their life and truth will become clear. So as we keep reading, personally, I find it very encouraging that the disciples struggled with this parable of Jesus. I mean, the guys and girls that were doing everyday life with Jesus, that were waking up with him, that were going to bed with him, that were having meals, stopping in different towns, having conversations with multiple different people, the people who understood Jesus's quirks by then, like he knew what he was saying, he knew his tics, he knew what to get him frustrated and what really got him going. These guys still didn't know what Jesus was talking about. And for me, that's comforting. Because, man, I do not know everything about Jesus now. And I really appreciate the disciples asking a pivotal question to Jesus in verse 10. Because this question kind of sets up the whole point of the message of Jesus. In verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And in verse 11, Jesus replies with, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And so what we get to know is the parable's earthly message is about seed and it's about soil. It's knowing how to plant. It's knowing where to produce crops. It's understanding what to be aware of. But Jesus is wanting us to know that the heavenly message it's about the kingdom of God being available and present to them now. Jesus is wanting his disciples to know. He wants the people in the crowd to understand. He wants the Pharisees to finally get it right that God is welcoming them into his kingdom here and now. And in verse 12, he points out that whoever has the message of the kingdom in their hearts and really understands it is going to have a flourishing life, a flourishing faith with God. But whoever does not hear the message of the kingdom, whoever does not understand the message of the kingdom, or what little they may understand about the kingdom, it will be taken away from them. And so after this moment describing this to the disciples, he ends up speaking out of a book of Isaiah, words of Isaiah himself. And so this is what he says in verse 14. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And it's in this moment that I just imagine the disciples with like this blank face, like, like I, don't, I don't get it. You just talked about a parable that doesn't make sense. You now just started speaking about a guy from Isaiah, which is like way, way back in time. I, this, doesn't, this doesn't make sense to me. Jesus, what are you trying to say? I imagine them like their arms are crossed. They're scratching their chin. They're scratching their head. They're trying to make sense of what this is. And then I picture Jesus. And he's just looking at him. And he's smiling. He's shaking his head. Takes a deep breath in. You guys just don't understand, do you? And I'm guessing this, it might not be true at all, but this guess comes from verse 18, because Jesus begins to speak in detail and in full to them about what the parable really means. And so picking up in verse 18, Jesus' words, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's this fourth and final seed that we want to hammer in on this morning together. Um, the goal of this is really to understand uh, about having wholehearted attention and devotion to God. That's what this final seed in the parable is talking about. It's knowing that when you have a wholehearted devotion to God, then his kingdom is welcomed into our lives here and now. It's understanding that wholehearted attention on the kingdom means that we get to walk and live every day of our life with Jesus. As we've said many times here before at Copper Hills, when you enter into a kingdom, you then live under the rule and reign of a king. So for us, as we enter into God's kingdom and we try to live under his reign, we begin to live our life daily the way that he would want us to live, and we seek opportunities to put that kingdom living on display for all to see. But before we dive deeper into wholeheartedness and kingdom living, we have to take a moment and go back and look at the different things that try to keep us from living in the kingdom with God. The parable talks about a lot of things in this world that are competing for our attention that try to stop us and get in the way of kingdom living. In our last three weeks, we've been talking about those different things. So I want to see, for those of you that are in the room, how well you understood and how well you know some of those different heartedness. So... There were three different hearts that we talked about, and I actually already mentioned them if you were listening closely. And so I want you to shout out the three different hearts that we've talked about the last three weeks. Half-heartedness, I heard. Callous or hard-heartedness. There's one more. Faint-heartedness. Thank you in the back. Appreciate that. Great job. You passed. All right. Half-heartedness, hard-heartedness, and faint-heartedness. Here's a reminder of what half-heartedness kind of looks like. Half-heartedness is when we first give our attention to God. We take some interest in his kingdom. We want to know who God is, but we don't really give a lot of thought, a lot of in-depth thought afterwards. We don't continue coming back to who God is in our life and what it means for us. And so this happens. Jesus says that the evil one comes and takes away what little we have stored up in our heart on who God is in the kingdom. I want you to know something. You're the biggest threat to Satan when you first say yes to the kingdom. You're the biggest threat to Satan's kingdom when you take interest in God. There is never a more important time for Satan to attack you with lies, with problems, with confusion, than when you first take notice of who God is and you start to walk in the kingdom and live with him daily. That's why for me, when I got baptized at the age of 11, I vividly remember spiritual warfare starting to enter into my life. I didn't have much thought of it as I was growing up, but when I got baptized, I felt temptation, I felt struggles, I felt confusion, I felt pain, and it was because Satan was trying to get me out of God's kingdom and to try to bring me back to his kingdom. It's in that moment for us that we pose the biggest threat to Satan's kingdom because we have entered into God's kingdom. It's a reminder on half-heartedness. The second is when we are hard-hearted towards God. 
And this is when we say yes to God in the moment and we're really excited, we're really happy, we're really joyful about it, but we've never established a deep connection, a deeper understanding in our relationship with God. And so when disappointment ends up coming our way or when troubling times hit our life, we begin to get angry at God because we think it's his fault that these things are happening and why are you letting these things happen to me? We think to ourselves, yes, God, I I said yes to you. I I give you my attention. I give you my devotion. So I don't understand why this job I just interviewed for, I'm not getting. I really need the money. Or God, I said yes to you. I give you my devotion. I give you my attention. But my wife and I are really fighting a lot. We're struggling. We've mentioned the word divorce. We're not in a good place spiritually, emotionally, or healthy. This doesn't make sense. Or God, I said yes to you, I gave you my devotion, I gave you my attention, and these temptations that keep coming up into my life, and people are starting to find out about it, and now I'm losing some friendships, I may be losing uh, relationships with important people in my life. God, this doesn't make sense. You see, it's often in these moments, we get mad at God for things happening to us, but since we haven't rooted ourselves deep into who God is and his promises and his timing, those things weigh heavily on our hearts. That's hard-heartedness. And the third is when we're faint-hearted in our devotion to God. And this is simply when we may hear what God has to say. We hear the message of the kingdom and we have good intentions to obey it and to trust in him. But all the outside noise that happens in our life is getting in the way. And it stops us from hearing. It chokes out the life. The, The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth come into our hearts like thorns and like thistles. And they begin to choke out any good thoughts or any good intentions that we have to really walk with God and live in his kingdom. We get so envious of what other people have. We get so worried about what other people think that we lose track of what God has given us in our life. And we lose track of who God says that we are in our life. That's faint-heartedness. So guys, these are the negative souls, the negative things trying to invade and keep our hearts from flourishing with God. But the good news is that walking with the king overcomes the competition. When we walk with the king, it overcomes those different competitors. But we can't walk with the king if we don't understand his message. Does it make sense? Oftentimes we don't walk with the king because we haven't understood the message of his kingdom. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to Matthew, to Mark, and to Luke's verse on the fourth seed in this parable, and it kind of help us get a better understanding. So here's Matthew 13, verse 23. The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produced a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Mark 4, verse 20. Others, like seeds sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times it was sown. And Luke 8, verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by perceiving, produce a crop. The message of the kingdom is twofold. Hear the word, produce a crop. The word, guys, the word is God. The word is Jesus. The author of John in the Bible says in his first chapter, in his first verses, that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that was made has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Have you heard the message of Jesus? 
Do you understand what God is trying to do in this world? And then, did you know that Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to cling to? Instead, he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant, and he humbled himself in human likeness. He was found in the appearance of a man, and he humbled himself. He actually became obedient to death, death even on a cross. So then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that actually at the name of Jesus, every knee across the earth would bow. In heaven, on earth, under earth, that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord, and it would all be to the glory of God the Father. Have you heard the message of Jesus Do you understand what God is trying to do in this world? Once you've heard the word, capital W, once you've understood the word, then it's time to do part two and produce a crop, produce some fruit. Producing a crop means that you're giving a wholehearted attention and devotion to what you understand. Think about it this way. A basketball player will take all the advice that they've gotten from the coach, all the practice that they've been putting into the gym, and then they're going to go out and they're going to produce results on the basketball court. A guitarist is going to take all that time spent with their instructor, all the practice in the studio, and then they're going to go out and produce music for other people to listen to. A student is going to go and take all the notes from their teacher, all the studying that they hopefully did at home, and they're going to go back to school and try to get good grades. A Christian hears the word and understands it, and then they go out and they produce a crop or produce some fruit. If you want to have a flourishing faith with a whole heart, then listen to the message of the kingdom and start producing some fruit. Here's what you may not know. When you start to live in the kingdom with God, you actually get to walk and live everyday life with Jesus because God and Jesus are connected together. Living in the kingdom means you get to walk with Jesus. And then there's a bonus thrown in there too in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the third person tied to God and tied to Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit joins you in your everyday conversations and in your everyday life. Here's the cool thing. When you have a whole heart living in the kingdom, you begin to produce some fruit. Jesus says this in the book of John, words about himself. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Staying connected to Jesus is the only way to have a flourishing faith in our life. When our hearts are wholly devoted to Jesus, we begin to produce fruits like we read and see of the Spirit in Galatians. Fruits like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and love. And these fruits are really just fruits that are showing how we're connected to the vine and how we're flourishing in our faith. We have to remember that at the same time, it's not about what we can do for ourselves. It's not about the fruits that we get to receive, the things that make us feel good about living in the kingdom. Because you see, when we live in the kingdom and we hear the word, we produce a crop. 
and producing a crop means that you're working hard in the fields around you, planting the same message of Jesus that you have heard and that you have begun to understood. Another phrase we like to mention here at Copper Hills is that you don't work where you work, you don't live where you live, you don't play where you play because it's got the best financial benefits or it's the safest, the zip code, or it's where the most people are hanging out. No, you are in those places because God has placed you there to produce a crop, a crop where your neighbors or employees feel understood and valued because you're trying to show them the love of Jesus in their life. A place where your neighbors get to see a glimpse of Jesus because of how you're trying to be the light of the world to your neighborhood. Producing a crop looks like taking interest and taking notice of the people around you. Hear the word, capital W, and produce some crops, produce some fruit. That's the message of the kingdom. So as we wrap up, I want you guys to, I want us to focus and to really think about a couple questions and assess our hearts here. Um, Questions like this, where's my heart at? Is my heart wholly devoted to God? Am I connected to the vine? Do I find myself flourishing in my faith? And if not, are you in a season where you're experiencing half-heartedness, hard-heartedness, faint-heartedness? And if you are, that's okay. If it's any comfort to you guys, I want you to know that God knows you and he searches your heart. He wants his children to have a flourishing life with him. Even in the barren seasons, God is seeking out our hearts because he knows that this life will not always be filled with overflowing abundance like blooming flowers and full hearts because he experiences the same heartache that we experience here on earth. But just like flowers have to be diligent in soaking up the sun and soaking up the water to flourish in their life, we need to be diligently soaking up the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to flourish in our life. And let me tell you, great ways to tangibly live wholehearted lives living in the kingdom is by practicing some of these relational disciplines. Relational disciplines like finding moments in your day to spend three to five minutes with the vine himself. You can get connected to the vine by spending time praying and you're doing all the talking and you're unloading what's on your heart, you're unloading what's on your mind, you're telling him about your day. You can also be connected to the vine by taking a step back, being silent, being quiet, and just trying to listen for his voice and what he would have to say to you. I went through a season when we were in the peak of COVID, when we were all kind of stuck in our bubbles, that I was practicing this twice a day, and it was really fruitful for me to be able to spend time taking a step back, slowing down, breathing, listening, reading God's word, and then talking to him about what's happening in my heart and what's going on in my day. And that's something that I actually want to do in this moment because I'm not going to encourage you guys to do something that I would never do myself. Maybe some of you are really relational people, and so a great relational discipline would be to find two to three people in your life that you can consistently share what's going on in your heart, how you're walking with Jesus, where you're finding joy in your life. I've got the privilege of doing that with four guys right now in my life, and it's been so great to walk through these questions and to talk about, man, this is where my heart is being really full. This is how I'm walking with Jesus and where it's going good and where it's going bad. These are the things that I'm enjoying right now. Relational disciplines are fantastic ways to hear the word and to produce some fruit in your life. 
Because guys, our hearts long to be with God and his kingdom. And the beauty of it is that God is making his kingdom available to us here and now in our everyday life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment. Uh, Thank you for your word. We're specifically grateful for this story captured uh, by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, And it's so cool to be able to dive deeper into a story by your son uh, and to really understand what it means for our hearts and for our souls. It's kind of difficult to read at first, and when you really dive deeper into it, it unveils some things about our hearts that maybe we were not ready for, uh, we're not comfortable talking about. Some of us might be experiencing seasons of half-heartedness or hard-heartedness or faint-heartedness. And so God, I'm gonna ask that you would join us in our moments now and help us to experience wholehearted living in your kingdom. Because you're inviting us right here, right now into your kingdom. You've spent the morning with us. You've spent the waking hours of today with us, even if we haven't noticed it. Everywhere around us and everywhere we go, your kingdom is present and is available and is waiting for us. Lord, the message of your kingdom is to hear your word and to produce some fruit. Some of us need help hearing the word and some of us need help producing fruit. But will we not be mistaken that we have to do both in this life? That wholehearted living looks like hearing the word of your son, Jesus, and producing some fruit in a crop around us. Lord, thank you for this moment. As we begin to worship you, we worship wholeheartedly. Would you meet us where we're at? Because you search our hearts and you seek out who we are.